Good morning. It is Monday, August 3rd, 8.47 a.m. I hope y'all had a good week. I know I did. The noises that you may be hearing in the background are from downstairs. Um, the neighbor is not having a psychotic break this time, but there is construction or <clears throat> retrofitting or something happening down there. Glad I don't live downstairs. Happy to be where I am. Um, so yeah, I'm getting off to kind of a late start because I was trying to find some more information on the subject uh, that I'll be diving into today. It took a little longer. Also, my apologies for last week's poor sound quality. I have a new phone and I'm trying to figure it out. So that's that. Um, before we get started on part two of Portland Bend Racist, if you haven't heard last week's episode, go back and listen. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some ephemera or letters that I found. Um, yesterday, I went thrifting with Kirsty at Community Thrift. We went two times because you have to only shop in half hour segments and they kick you out of the store and then you got to go back in if you want to shop more. So we did and we did. That's what we did. Um, so the second round, I found a little tiny replica of a Folsom prison cell that was made by an inmate and it's very detailed and it's made from like little scraps. Like the toilet bowl is made out of a pistachio shell. Uh, if that gives you any context for scale, it's extremely detailed and it must have taken him a really long time to gather everything or not. Maybe he had all the materials on hand, but it looks like a lot of time went into it. So after round two, we ate lunch at Curry Up Mon, which is like a, it's a really yummy kind of fast foodish Indian place. But it's really good. It's it's healthy. And as I was walking back, I found a letter on the street. Um, I found this on Lexington Street, which is the street behind Community Thrift Store, if you go down the alley, behind where the elbow room used to be. Um, and I found a letter. And it was folded up. And I picked it up. And guess what? It happened to be a letter from prison, which I thought was interesting because I found something that was made in prison and then I found something that was written in prison. So I'm going to read this to you. <clears throat> First, I'll describe the stationery that it was on. It was on just a plain sheet of blue lined white paper with the pink stripe going down the left edge. So it says, Brett K., Thursday, May 30th, 2019, page one. It, I only found page one. There must have been other pages. Hey there, I hope this letter finds you doing well. I must apologize for the delay in my response. For some reason, it took that website 10 days to send me your email. <clears throat> I hope you haven't lost interest in getting to know me. With that said, I'm going to go ahead and 
get to your email, dot, dot, dot. Damn, comma. So you got your associate's degree in medical assistance and got your GED in the same week? That's what's up. I know that had to be time consuming. How long did it take to get the associate's degree? They have different college courses we can take in here. I haven't really put much thought into the courses they have because I've been so caught up on the trades they offer us. Plus, you have to have a certain amount of time left in order to do them. So, you're from the Bay, huh? I remember E-40, one of my favorite albums by him is called In a Major Way. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it had that song, One Love. I think that was one of his biggest hits. Speaking of music, what kind do you enjoy listening to? To be honest, I have a diverse taste. I mainly listen to R&B and rap, though. Dot, dot, dot. Tell me, how come you haven't found true love yet? Is it because you haven't met the right guy? There isn't too many people like us left in the world as far as being faithful, trustworthy, loyal, and compassionate. To me, them are qualities that makes a relationship. I am a man of integrity, so I live. And then that's all I got. Because the rest was... Uh, continued on the next page, so um, it probably started getting more juicy on the second page, and that's probably the page that the person kept. Um, yeah, so I hope that they were able to find true love either together or separately. Um, so that is the first bit of ephemera, and then the second, second bit of ephemera I found when I was at the rag bin and um. It is a lenticular jumbo postcard. Um, so lenticular is the three D kind, you know. So it move, you know, when you move it, it makes it, you know, looks like it's doing something kind of. Um, it it shows Jesus knocking at the door, um, and he's holding a lantern, and then he's surrounded by trees and. He looks kind of sketchy. Um, I wouldn't know it was Jesus unless he was wearing the robe, which he is. Anyway, so um, it is dated September 4th, 1971. It is shipped from New York, New York. And I will read it. It is addressed to Mrs. Mabel Wright, 1814 Carlton Street, Berkeley, California. No zip code, but it got there, apparently, because otherwise it'd still be in New York, right? Um, And it is stamped. Okay. Dear Mabel, I have just come from atop of the 102-story building, the Empire State. Leaving tomorrow for Wash, D.C. Today, I sent one of my suitcases by Greyhound bus to you. I don't think there will be any changes. If so, we'll take care of it. Add in Washington, D.C. Burlington Hotel, 11120 Vermont 
Avenue, Washington, D.C. Love, Mead, and Paul. See you soon on the 15th of September. Air mail. Sorry, her handwriting was just as bad as mine. Um, But yeah, so those are two pieces of letter writing that I found. Okay, so uh, part two of Portland Been Racist. I'm going to dip my toes in the segregation pool. Um, Ironically. So you can imagine a state that's racist, doesn't like black people, will try to control and limit what black people can do there. They will try to meddle extensively in black civic life because at the root of that wants to make black people feel uncomfortable enough to where they leave wants to make them feel unwelcome so it's not just you know on paper okay black people live here white people live here it's not like that they they can't just leave the black people alone they have to go in and meddle with them and harass them Um, because of segregation, as we know now, black people were not allowed into a lot of spaces, like spaces that we take for granted. Like, let's say you want to go get your hair done. And then after that, you want to take your child for ice cream as a reward for good behavior. And maybe buy them a little bit of candy and you want to meet your husband. You timed the hair appointment so you can meet your husband for when he gets out of the gym. And to me, that seems like a pretty normal, you know, a normal family plan that someone would do like on a Saturday afternoon. That sounds like some normal thing you wouldn't even think twice about doing, you know, just like, Okay, we've got this plan. Imagine if you couldn't, there was no place that you could go based on the color of your skin, you couldn't do any of those things. You couldn't go and buy your son ice cream at a soda fountain. Uh, Your husband could not, would not be allowed to work out in the gym. You would not be able to get your hair done in a professional environment. Okay. Um, All those things are not available to you. And then it gets really, really hard to find a way to do that stuff. So that's what it was like for, for the black population of Portland at the turn of the century, of the 20th century. At the time, there were... 1,105, so 1,105 black people living in Oregon, and 70%, which is 773 people, were living in Portland. So most of them were in Portland, and that's a pretty tiny community. Um, That's kind of, you know, there's a, granted that there's only like a few degrees of separation from everybody knowing each other, you know, so that's, that's how small it was because it's just such a small population and they were confined to such a small area. In 1901, 
a black entrepreneur named William D. Allen and his wife Lillian Medley moved from Nashville, Tennessee uh, to East Portland, Oregon. Most black people were renters in the Northwest neighborhood. Mr. Allen bought property located at Northwest Broadway in Everett Street. It's right in the heart of where most black people lived. It was the first hotel in the city to allow black patrons, and he named it the Golden West Hotel. And not only was it just a hotel, there was a restaurant, there was a soda fountain, there was a barber shop, there was a candy store. Um, and so people could have, black people could have a semblance of normality in their life. Um, most of most of the men that lived in this neighborhood or lived in or, or worked in this neighborhood were employed by the railroad as porters or waiters or cooks. And you know what? Some of them were bachelors and they needed a place to stay. Um, since they couldn't just go into a hotel and rent a room, this was a godsend for them. Um, and some people just straight up lived at the hotel, which a lot of people do live at hotels, at nicer hotels. And this was a nice hotel. Um, so it provided a really good ser service for the black community. It also was able to accommodate speakers that uplifted the black community and it hosted the first jazz band to play there. Let me get the name of that really quick. In 1914, I will find it. It was called the Creole Kings. Anyway, so it was a, a thriving hub of the community. The hotel stood between two prominent black churches, the Bethel AME and the Mount Olivet Baptist Church. So after church, people would go and eat dinner, like Sunday dinner, at the hotel restaurant. So it, it was a great hub for wholesome social engagement. And it was a place where you could eat at a restaurant if you were a black person. Things that, things that Whitey takes for granted every day, it was extremely difficult to accomplish and then to enjoy if you were a black person living in Portland at the time. The hotel had a hundred rooms and it was on the corner and it was the second largest black owned for black people hotel in the nation. So then, okay, so here, the name of the jazz band was Freddie Keppard's Original Creole Orchestra. Just wanted to clear that up. Um, there was a very mysterious gambling den in the basement of the hotel. Um, it was heavily guarded, and not just any patron could 
go to the gambling den. Um, and that was kind of where a chink in the armor was opened. So that allowed for authorities to swoop in somewhat. They tried very, they tried various angles, um, because the white business owners couldn't just let a black business that was successful thrive and be good in a black neighborhood. It was because of the segregation that the business was doing so well. Because black people finally had a place to go. You know, that's, that's very significant. They were constantly trying to shut it down. They would accuse them of trumped up charges of prostitution. Um, and then they would try to get a stronghold on the alleged gambling den, but they were never able to prove that there was a gambling den there. That was a word of mouth thing. Um, and because this was during prohibition, there was probably a good chance that there was, that would probably be the one place where if you were a black person, you could get some alcohol. Um, but that, that comment is based on my personal speculation, just to be clear, but that would make sense in a way. A hotel would have those connections. Um, but William Allen was a very prudent businessman. And so he knew of all the operations that were going on under the roof of his hotel, and he was able to manage them very efficiently. In 1921, he was forced to plead for his license back. They revoked his license. Just out of the blue. That must have been so discouraging and so humiliating when you are an entrepreneur and you are running one of the most successful black-owned businesses in Portland and they swoop on you and try to take it away from you constantly. It's, it's very dehumanizing. The hotel closed in 1931 due to the Great Depression hardships. So a lot of the people that were employed by the railroad, which was the main form of employment, um, and a lot of the domestic workers they were let go because people needed to save money um, and it trickled down. So they lost their jobs and it finally had, the hotel finally had to shut its doors in 1931. Um, it switched hands several times after Mr. Allen sold the building in 1931, in 1933, excuse me. So the, the building sat for two years, then it was sold. Then it became the Broadmoor Hotel in 1943, and it functioned as low-cost housing development until 1984. And the building has now been restored, and it is used 
for various purposes. Uh, it also houses the Imani Center, which uh, assists Black people suffering with mental health or addiction issues. Um, but the thing that really strikes me about this this hotel and its its rich history, it was only around for twenty five years. Which, in the scheme of things, that's a long time to have a business, a black owned business in Portland because there were so many odds against you having a business and functioning as a business. But the fact that it provided so much more to the black community and that it chose to thrive. And even as a product of segregation, and it thrived because things were segregated how the white, quote, authorities couldn't handle that. They could not stand to see black people thriving or having a place to go or enjoying themselves or being happy or living a normal life. And that is evil. It's like having a, you know, planning for a party and telling someone that they're not invited to the party and then the person who's not invited to the party decides to have their own party and their party is fun and you stop your party to go over and shut down their party to me that's what it's like and it is disgraceful it is unethical and I feel like those type of things happen in more insidious ways and more covert ways nowadays. Anyway, that is part two of PBR, Portland Ben Racist. I'm going to bring you more next week. The length of the episodes will vary in the series because some things I'm able to find more information on and some things I'm not able to so much. But I appreciate you showing up and listening and I hope you guys have a great week. I have a ton of shipping to do today. Oh God. But it's going to be a good day and thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye.